0: Hi, this is Dr. Ali Sharma with a trigger warning for everyone. You may hear us speaking about life experience in this podcast that have meaning for you, that may be difficult to hear, or that may affect your loved ones. As always, we encourage you to seek help from a licensed mental health professional or other healthcare provider with any questions you may have about what you're going through. Everything in this podcast is for informational purposes only, and it's not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please don't delay seeking help because of something you hear on Model Mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma. And I'm Bridget Malcolm. And this is Model Mentality, a podcast where we are opening up the dialogue on mental health, one conversation at a time.
1: So, a bit about this episode before we begin. Today's episode was created through a collaboration with Fountain House. For those of you who are not familiar, Fountain House is a national mental health nonprofit fighting to improve health, increase opportunity, and end social and economic isolation for people living with serious mental illness. We believe so strongly in their mission and partnered with them for their January 2021 campaign called Your Mind Matters, in which we spoke with Fountain House members to hear more about their mental health stories and understand the impact that Fountain House has had on their recovery. In this episode, we are speaking with Janelle, a Fountain House member who describes how her mental health condition directly interfered with her freshman year of college, how stigma plays a role in her understanding of seeking out care as a person of color, and specifically the challenge in trying to reconcile her diagnosis within herself and within the context of her family. You will first hear Dr. Ali speaking with Janelle, and in the next episode, you will hear Melody Monrose, a guest from Season 1, speak with Janelle in our Let's Get Real format about mental health, culture, and stigma. We hope you enjoyed this episode.
0: So Janelle, thank you so much for speaking with us today. I'm very excited to have this conversation and I think it's a very important one. Um, so I'd love to start off, you know, I understand that your mom's from Ghana, your dad is from Queens and you grew up in some areas that are predominantly white. So just tell us a little bit about your upbringing, you know, where you're from and what it was like to grow up for you.
2: Yeah, so I grew up with quite like the dichotomy in terms of cultural experience. Um, And like with my mom and my dad, they just had very different views on parenting, very different view, like um, backgrounds in growing up. Um, And it definitely affected the way I grew up. Uh, My mom was from Ghana, she was strict in terms of her views on like academics and whatnot um she also had this like strange rule that I wasn't allowed to use my left hand because it was some sort of like insult to her cooking and stuff like that or or something like that like that was my mom and then my dad he was from queens and he's a jehovah's witness so he was strict and like very much so conservative in a lot of ways and like they clashed sometimes um but yeah i kind of grew up kind of reserved and i was always taught to like act a certain way in public because we were one of the only Black families in the area. Um, So I grew up doing that on the regular. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and you told me you
0: used to go to Ghana, right, as a child. So what was that experience like for you?
2: It's definitely different. Um, So when I go to Ghana, even though I am half Ghanaian, they tend to see me as American. So I don't quite, I kind of stick out there, but I love the culture I love to see my cousins that are still over there. Um, They're pretty welcoming, although they think we're a little odd because we're American. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I love the culture over there. It's just, it's different. It's definitely different.
0: And just to paint a picture. So tell us how old you are today. I'm 24. Okay. And, you know, I understand that you said that athletics was really an important part of your upbringing, but you had to stop this due to mental health issues. Could you walk us through what happened and tell us a little bit about when you first experienced mental health symptoms?
2: Yeah. Um, so I played soccer my whole life, um, all the way up into my first year of college. I got recruited and I played for a Division I program briefly um, following like our first season. So around like, November-ish of my freshman year, um, I started to like experience a lot of crying spells, Um, more so than like I'd ever experienced before. I stopped being able to like control my emotions like or reactions to certain situations. Um, And I just started having like a lot more uncontrollable emotions and felt a little bit more out of control. Um, And following that, I got like sort of depressed about that, about feeling different, feeling separate from everyone and stuff like that. Um, And eventually it got to the point where I had Um, a situation where I took like too many pills. And then I ended up as a result of that going to the hospital and they set me up with a care team back at my school um, where I was diagnosed with bipolar.
0: Could we go back a little bit to what you mentioned about the events, which led up to the overdose? How did you understand what was going on or how did you make sense of it for yourself? Um, I just felt like a complete weirdo.
2: To be honest, I did. I was having a really hard time making sense of it, especially since I hadn't um, heard of anyone else going through what I was going through. Um, no one was like talking about. Everyone was talking about how overwhelmed they were with school, but no one was saying how like they would just randomly start crying in the morning or something like that. It was just very like separate from my, what I felt like my peers were going through. And on top of that. Um, I was so used to being a reserved person and being very like private. So the fact that I was having some of these like situations occur out in public was really jarring for me. And um, it just made me want to retreat and it made me feel very odd and confused. And I know part of that, like now looking back, I know that some of what I experienced was what's called mixed episodes. So it is already like a very confusing kind of, um, Uh, like a set of symptoms to have, like both mania and depressive symptoms at the same time. But um, it was just, it was a lot to happen at once for me.
0: And during that time, did you seek out help? Or did you think about getting help? Um,
2: I thought about getting help. um, But to some degree, I was like, trying to rationalize some of my experiences, like, Um, It was my freshman year of college, so I was like, maybe this is just an adjustment period. Um, Like, a lot of people are going through difficult times, and um, that kind of prevented me from getting help. In addition, um, when I would kind of, like, poise certain questions to some of my peers, they would kind of, like, talk it down or say, like, um, that's, like, try to make it seem like it was normal for me to be feeling certain things and stuff like that um and i did at one point think about getting help on my own before the hospital incident but i was kind of talked out of it because like um a peer told me that like therapy was kind of a joke so um Mm. like at least um in terms of helping me as like a a black woman with these issues they felt like it wouldn't be um helpful for me
0: and was this peer um, also from the black community or from elsewhere? Just curious. Yeah. The peer is also from the black community. Okay. Did you, when you heard that, did you share that idea or do you recall what your reaction was to that?
2: I was just, I mean, I had already had those like preconceived notions that, um, therapy wasn't for black people kind of. So I was just like, okay, yeah, you're right. You know, um, I probably shouldn't go for it. It won't help me anyway. Um, So that was my reaction to it.
0: Yeah. And I want to come back to that, you know, when we speak with Melody a little bit later on, Um, but so then tell us what led up to the overdose, you know, because one, one of the things we want to do with this conversation with you is to help educate others that they can get help to know the signs of distress and to know that this, you know, certain things would require medical attention, let's say. So for you, what led up to the events where you um, had the overdose?
2: So for me, um, I had a situation with my roommate where I had been going through what I know is a mixed episode and my roommate's reaction was to like start to remove her things and she was like moving out and that was really like um, upsetting to me to have um, someone who's supposed to be my friend like kind of being like you're too crazy for me kind of situation. Um, and then also I had like a falling out with my friends that weekend. I got a bad grade. It was just like a lot piling up at that time. Um, and my reactions to those things, like those things are bad, but my reaction to those things was like a lot more intense than it had ever been. Um, and then that weekend, like my roommate had left. So I was alone and I felt really alone. I didn't usually like I would call my mom like all the time or my dad or my, my I usually would call them but I felt like no one would understand what I was going through um, just because I had tried to kind of reach out to people and they had like brushed it off so um, I was feeling alone and I didn't have an outlet and I just I thought like there's just no point to this so I Actually went into like my roommate stuff. So this is something that's completely out of character for me. I went into her stuff, like seeking those pills um, to take because I was just so desperate to like get away from what I was feeling.
0: Yeah. So. And then how did you end up from there to the hospital and to treatment?
2: So I, I took like a lot, a lot of um, the Benadryl, like. I don't even know how many, but, um, and then after that, I ended up passing out for like some hours. Um, and then I woke up like the next morning, um, and I was in so much pain and I realized that this was just not like, I wasn't gonna be dying anytime soon or anything like that. And that I was, um, I might as well like go seek help. So I called a friend and told her, asked her to take me to the hospital and then she did. And then once I told them, um, the situation, they kept me overnight for observation,
0: Okay. No, and I appreciate you sharing the details of that story. And, you know, one of the things I just want to say is that it sounds like you were in extreme pain, you know, and the influences around you at the time were telling you that, you know, maybe not validating the need for help or not encouraging you or connecting to the, you to the resources that could help you. And it sounds like you were in a lot of pain, right? And so, you know, that's one of the things we'll talk about is, are the signs and distress related to suicide and suicide prevention, a little bit later on. But for you, um, when you finally found out that you had a diagnosis of bipolar disorder and that this was a mixed episode, how did learning about that diagnosis affect you? It was
2: like good and bad. I was relieved in that I was able to name what was going on. And for me at the time, I was like, so there's obviously some like set of instructions on how to get through this, which I've learned over time. That's not exactly how it goes, but I was just relieved to know that um, it wasn't just me. um, And that there was like a path towards um, getting better. But then I was also very um, scared and um, just mostly scared of how my family would would react um, of, what doors this would close for me in the future. Um, and like, just knowing that as I was told, like um, when I got the diagnosis that this was not something that goes away. Um, so it wasn't so much that now that I knew what was going on that I was gonna have a cure. It was just that you know what's going on so you can treat it. And that was really frustrating for me. Um, Cause I obviously just wanted all of the feelings to go away.
0: Yeah, of course. And, you know, talk a little bit more about your parents, because I'm curious what their reaction was to, you know, the fact that, that you had a mental, you were diagnosed with a mental health condition. And I know they were both pharmacists. So tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So at first they, and they still kind of to this day, don't really believe that I have um, the diagnosis. They thought that like kind of the professionals who examined me were kind of overstating my situation. And, um, they also like, they weren't supportive of me taking medications, even though they were pharmacists, they were very like, much so telling me like all the negative side of possible side effects of those medications. Um, and like my mom on her side, she was coming from it from like a faith-based, um, place, um, trying to like understand it from like she kind of thought that I was I don't know how to say it that I was um going through like a spiritual um like kind of oh I don't know the word like a spiritual depression as opposed to like a
0: um other type of, i'm sorry <laughs> no no actually i know you're you're bringing up a very important point because i've worked globally very... and often in certain countries and countries in africa and other other places around the world there is a spiritual understanding of mental health issues or there's like a cultural explanation of why certain things happen right and so in certain cultures it might be you know one uh, one dimension and and in another place it's spirituality right or spiritually based or spiritually rooted so so that's interesting so what did what did that mean to you that she understood it that way
2: um it was really saddening it made me feel really like i couldn't open up to her about um it just because when she took that, that stance. It kind of meant that her solution was to pray it away and like not to support my treatments, um, not to support like the things that I had to do. Like, um, for instance, like I eventually had to leave school as a result of my mental illness and it was like a huge, um, fight, even though it was for my health, just because she was like convinced that it wasn't, um, such like a Not that it wasn't serious, because she did think she always thought it was serious, but that it wasn't um, something that was going to stay with me or that I really needed to address in such a um, concentrated way. So um, it was really tough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like her belief system around it was maybe not consistent with the reality of what was going on or what you were experiencing. And that's that's really hard, you know, when there's that difference so and and could you talk maybe even a little bit more like so what it was like to go through the diagnosis through the beginning stages of treatment you know as a black woman maybe perhaps in a culture in a family where mental health is stigmatized let's say or understood differently than just a medical issue
2: Yeah. So as far as treatment was, I was very resistant in the beginning, Um, especially with like the medication portion. Um, I kind of listened to what my parents had said and was not consistent with taking the medication and all that stuff, just because I was like, I don't really need it. I don't really like have this um, disorder. Um, And as far as the treatment goes, with like things like dbt it was really hard for me to get into them and to like work to use the skills in the beginning because again i felt like i it was separate from my diagnosis um eventually though there were i don't know what it was i don't know if it was a processing group or something but something kind of clicked i did feel like and i did end up mentioning this in a group I felt very like alone because I was the only black woman in the group. I was the only black person in my IOP group the first time I went. Um, And I, that was like isolating in a way Um, because yeah, there's other people going through it, but there's no one like me who looks like me that go that I can see or connect with that's going through it. Um, But ultimately I was still able to get something from it. I just, I wouldn't say that every single thing that was in that IOP program was um, helpful to me, but I was able to take certain things and like change them so they fit my life and um, kind of adapt them to um,
0: my needs as a black woman with mental illness. Yeah, so looking back, you know, other than like having more people like you in the group, culturally and otherwise, what would have helped? if we think about, like, culturally competent care?
2: Um, I think, for one, um, just some of the language that was used felt very, um, made me want to separate myself from, or made me feel like I was separate from the care that was given it, um, felt, um, It just, I was just felt uncomfortable with some of the language that was used. Um, Some of the examples that were given to help understand some of the DBT skills were just very off from like what I had experienced in my life. Um, There were, there was not a lot of advice given to me on how to um, broach the topic with my family, who was obviously like they had a bunch of different um, opinions on what was going on. Um. And so I was kind of like left to my own devices in that manner. And just that was actually probably the hardest part because I would be in treatment and be learning these skills and feel like I'm making improvement and then go home and have to deal with um, a situation where I wasn't getting supported and I didn't really have the tools to handle that on top of my emotions and whatnot. It was just, um, I just wish they had more of a, understanding of the different like types of cultures and home life so they could like help with that um but yeah
0: that's pretty much what i think yeah and you know fast forward like from that point um how have things changed for you in terms of how are how you're managing things with your mental health you know given that there was that light bulb that clicked you know how is it different for you now a couple years later
2: yeah, so um, I feel now that I've gotten a better understanding of my diagnosis and my bipolar disorder because um, there was a time back then I kind of just looked at the definition of the disorder on paper and assumed that that was what it was for me, um, but I've learned over the years that those things, those symptoms can vary um, and it's not. Oh, it doesn't always look the same so um that's kind of helped to allow me to stop separating myself from the diagnosis Um, in terms of using the treatments like i said i kind of took some of what i learned from like those iop programs and adapted them to my lifestyle so i'm not necessarily like by the book using everything that they gave me but i use um what i need to in order to like fit my lifestyle and Yeah, I've definitely just, there's been ups and downs. I won't um, say that it's been like a straight trajectory. Although I also won't say that I've gone all the way back to where I started because I've never gone back to that place of just completely being in the dark about what was going on. Um, I always, like every time that I go through like a depressive episode or a hypomanic episode, like I do get a little bit more like aware of what's happening. And that's like the biggest part for me is just, Part of what is so scary about my mental illness is the confusion that it brings, like just not understanding what's happening. So through the years, the knowledge and the awareness has really just helped to grapple with it a lot easier.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it was terribly confusing and also isolating, right? You said that word a couple of times, right? Isolating when you were feeling the symptoms initially, isolating when you got the diagnosis and people around you didn't understand. Um, it's hard, you know, and that's why we're talking about this. Um, I'm just curious one other aspect, you know, when did Fountain House come into your life and what role has that played in your recovery?
2: So, yeah. So when I left school in my sophomore fall, I went into the ILP program and then, um, I was getting ready to leave and I just my parents were like pushing me to go back to school. And I just knew that I wasn't quite there yet. I knew that going from like a therapeutic s- safe space to straight back into like stress, stress, stress was never gonna work for me. So I literally Googled mental health college students like helping or something like that. Um, and I found the college reentry program. And I was like, whoa, this is exactly what I was looking for. I didn't think anything like that existed at the time. Um, and then I made the appointment to go and get signed up like immediately <laughs> because um, it was just so like such a relief to know that there was just this like intermission I could have between getting the help that I need for my health and then going back to school to achieve like my dreams. And it was just so nice to know like how supportive they were, how like individualized the program was. It was really just an awesome experience and they helped me get in touch with the right people at my school. I learned about accommodations, which is actually something I didn't know um, you could get for mental illness um, at schools and whatnot. Um, and I think my the remainder of my college experience would have been just very different if I hadn't gone to CRE. Um, I just felt like I had a lot more tools in my belt to go and finish school.
0: No, that's incredible. and and I think more people need to learn about that because I think a lot of people are in or have been in your position and don't feel like they know the support that's out there, right to get them through it. You know, and I, you've learned so much, and you know we want to be able to have you to share your knowledge with others and your experiences. So here's my final question, and you can think about this um, for a little bit. So if you had fifty billion Instagram followers, what would you like to tell people about mental health within the context of communities of color?
2: Um, I would like to tell them you're not alone. Um, There are plenty of people of color who are struggling with their mental health. And while this current system, health system in place was not originally built for you, you can for sure take things from it and gain things from it. And there is help out there. There are people trying to change the fact that the health system is not necessarily built for people of color. Um, And there's a lot of different resources, like communities like CRE that are um, looking to change the narrative. And so I would say reach out for help as soon as you can Um, and don't be afraid to speak on it as there's just so many more benefits than there are negatives to speaking on your mental health and
0: getting the help you need. Thank you so much, Janelle. I appreciate yeah. you speaking with me. Now let's get clinical. What stands out to me from a clinical perspective are three aspects of Janelle's story. First, mental health and how it can interfere with the ability to function. Second, stigma and communities of color. And third, Fountain House and the College Reentry Program. On the first, mental health and how it can interfere with the ability to function, you hear in Janelle's story that she experienced symptoms of uncontrollable emotions, crying spells, and feeling down in her first year of college. She did not understand what was happening and as a result, she withdrew from her peers. She felt depressed and overwhelmed and was not able to have that quintessential college experience. She even discussed with a peer who said, quote, that therapy is a joke in terms of her getting help as a black woman, end quote, before she was hospitalized, highlighting the need for inclusion of all communities of color and cultures in mental health care, which we'll come back to in a second. Janelle was hospitalized after a suicide attempt because of an unrecognized and untreated mental health condition. The end result was her finally getting the care she needed, but much, much too late. So let's stop here. So what could be done differently to get Janelle the help she needed? If Janelle and her peers knew that she could get help for how she was feeling, and specifically help which culturally resonated with her and was readily available, maybe none of this would have happened. And furthermore, when should someone seek help? If you have ever had the experience that your emotions are out of control, too overwhelming in comparison to how you usually feel, and if you are having trouble being you and showing up for your life, these are signs that you should seek out help from a licensed mental health professional sooner rather than later. You can feel better, as Janelle now does. On the second, let's talk about stigma and communities of color. In Janelle's case, She mentioned that she had preconceived notions that therapy was not for black people and she was resistant to medications and treatment in the beginning because the treatment and its vocabulary did not culturally resonate with her. Although Janelle was relieved in part to be given the diagnosis, she was also scared, scared of how her family would react and what doors this could close for her. And later you hear that both of her parents were pharmacists, Her mother from Ghana, her father American, and yet despite their professional backgrounds in the medical field, they were skeptical of her diagnosis and not super keen on her taking medications for bipolar disorder. Her mother had an understanding of her diagnosis from a faith-based perspective, and that Janelle was going through a spiritual depression that was temporary. This was hard for Janelle because she felt that her mother did not accept her. What I find striking and also know from working across cultures, is that not only did Janelle have to come to terms within herself about what living with bipolar means, she also had to manage the skepticism and hesitation of those around her. That's double the challenge. We know that stigma exists, and we as mental health professionals have a duty to educate, to normalize, and to teach families and communities warning signs and how to support our loved ones in times of crisis. On the third, let's talk about the college reentry program at Fountain House. Because Janelle's college plans, both in academics and athletics were thwarted, it wasn't until she found Fountain House's college reentry program, or the CRE program, that she was able to get back on track. The program helps young people age 18 to 30 who withdraw from their studies due to mental health challenges, return to college and successfully reach their educational goals. 75% of students who complete the core program return to school within two semesters. The college re program enabled Janelle and many others to finish college and live out their dreams. I can't thank Janelle enough for opening up with us about what happened her freshman year of college, getting her diagnosis of bipolar disorder, and describing the cultural context. I want to thank Fountain House for this incredible collaboration and for the work they're doing around the globe. Many people struggle with mental health conditions, bipolar disorder, and stigma within communities of color. And we want you to understand that you are not alone no matter your culture, that there is power and connection in speaking up and in asking for and receiving help. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. Please check our show notes for references and more information on this episode. As always, if you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on Model Mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session.
1: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios.